You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Thanks for joining us for another hunting podcast right here Landon Legacy on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we have an interesting topic to cover because we're right here in the middle of July. And I know most guys are doing the same thing we're doing, and that's scouting, checking trail cameras, looking for velvet bucks. And it's such a fun time of year just to get those. Everyone's planning, buying gear, and, and making the plans to chase some deer. And as soon as they start showing up, your mind immediately turns to how do I kill that deer this year? What That's do right. I do different? And what's changed? <laughs> For us, a lot has changed. Oh boy. What hasn't changed is the better is the shorter list, honestly. That's right. I mean, is so much has gone on on the farm as far as um, habitat projects, but we're not talking about habitat on this week's on the hunting podcast. We're talking about hunting. And so a lot of things have changed. And so we have a we have bucks showing up, and this is, to me, the card pool in mid-July and then go into late July is some of the most exciting ones because deer are pretty patternable. They're showing up in the same cameras a lot of times, and they've developed most of their antlers, so we have a pretty good idea what they're going to look like. Um, of course, they are wearing their velvet, so they look a lot bigger than they actually are going to be during the during hunting season. But it's just an exciting time because you can hopefully get them on camera pretty easily and then you have an idea what they're going to look like. Yeah, exactly. And, and once you have that identity built, it's putting a name to it. It's trying to figure out, hey, do I know that deer from, from last year? What can what advantage do I have? And, and again, we talked about change for us. Uh, even just it goes down to how we document these deer this year. Um, if you do follow along to the um, Habitat podcast, we talked about how we're not, we're opting out of placing mineral or salt, salt blocks or even bait um, before season to document these deer. Um, there's been a bunch of research and we won't get into that, but we've opted to not do that. Um, so it makes... It's illegal in a lot of the surrounding counties and yeah. we know it's just a matter of time for us. So we're going to go ahead and jump in and say that's all been illegal so we're removing it all and we're going to try and figure out how to find these deer and hopefully it's going to make us more it's going to improve our woodsmanship yeah 
as we talk so much on the other podcast. So we're trying to f- find these deer without minerals, without feed, and try to find it the all-natural way, the old way, I guess. And so fence jumps and fruit trees and water holes and creek crossings, creek crossings and trail intersections and food plots and bottlenecks and all that wonderful stuff. Um, and that's where our cameras are. And you know what? You you and your brother just pulled cameras today, and there's it was pretty successful. I mean, n- do we have all the deer from last year that we've categorized and identified and made profiles for on Deer Lab? No, not yet. But um, there's some new ones that have shown up. It's like, hello, who are you? Um, that's that's that fun anticipation that it's building, though. Here's the cool part about that: the one that showed up, that the new twelve, as he's just called right now. He showed up where one of the others that we had so much last year and so much history with, we had him all summer, a lot through the fall. We had an encounter with him in October. We had a lot of pictures of him through hunting season. Never found a sheds, but that buck called Hippie, he was notorious for being on this one part of the farm, the very Mm -hmm. south side at the creek crossing, and he hadn't even been there. It's been this new 12 that showed up there. And so it's kind of, it's interesting, and, and it goes back to the habitat changing and all the stuff we had go on that probably resulted in his pattern being moved and staying in a different summer range this year. Um, but, you know, we we're, we use Deer Lab software to put in our um, trail cam images and kind of categorize bucks, but then also study the buck travel patterns and follow the heat map and see what's going on. And, and that was like one of the biggest was we just pre-show we went back and we're looking at hippies heat map and we're like whoa huh i i thought there was more pictures of him down there than there is up there on the uh, so basically we'll just say for simple terms the lease prairie hollow property and the fam my family farm and we thought we had way more pictures of him on the lease but we actually had more pictures of him on the farm and i think what's kind of skewed that it was there was an encounter we had an encounter during um hunting season from the stand with hippie down on the lease now again that's that's they border each other they touch but in all actuality it's like i i don't remember getting those pictures of him up top not at all and really there was there was no pictures of him documented um of him on the lease minus very early season and i guess one time um later into the season at that that big creek crossing um but things have changed so much has changed and we're getting him um on a different portion uh, of the lease this year, early on. And it's it's fun to see. Okay, how is he now going to roam the fall woods? And how do we, how do we use last year's information to better ourselves and our chances for this year? Were there patterns? And if so, hopefully he'll do them again. But if... If so, how do we capitalize on it? Where do we set up? What do we do? And where where do we stay out of? Where do we not hunt until this time? Those are the questions that I get excited about asking this time of year <clears throat> once he showed back up. You know? Yeah, I totally. I think uh, to me, I'm going, okay, where is he betting at? Where was he betting at last, <laughs> yeah. last fall when he was up on the farm? Like, I'm kind of sitting here going... What what led to that move? The food plots weren't great. There was more food on yes. the lease than there was yes. on the family farm. Why why was he up there so much? Well, which which you know, 
I go back to okay, well, if if the high quality forage <coughs> in the on the lease didn't attract him there, and and let's say we have really good success with fall food plots this fall, my thinking is he's probably going to be back up there because the food thing wasn't an issue. Yeah, you know now a lot of cover has changed because of the timber harvest, but he still found security up there and chose to stay up there. Really, it was through most of November that we documented him, and and December, right? Yeah, that's right. And you know when we had the encounter, he was trailing up. I don't know. <laughs> Gosh, a whole train of those. Fifteen. I <laughs> yeah. think we saw like seventeen or some deers. I think it was ten because there were some we saw out in the out in the back end of that field. It, it, so was, it, was, a, uh, it was a train a of herd ten. of ten yeah. does, and one of those does was the white face. Oh, and uh, and so we kind of it's a doe with a white. She's half her face is white and so and legs, uh, front and, legs. And she's got front legs that are white, not all the way white on the legs, but they're definitely noticeable. And that doe has stayed around um, that same area. And so it's kind of like, it's just interesting for, for us to follow him and say, what in the world caused that change? But here's the other part. Since he showed back up this year, he's back on the north side of the lease, but we also put in about six acres of new food plots, and that's where we're getting more pictures of mm-hmm. him at. Mm-hmm. So... We're trying to figure out, and it's always the fun game of going, okay, is he going to move back to that fall pattern, the fall range of being up on the family farm, or is he going to stick to the lease? And and some of it is going to to be an unknown. Um, we're, we're just not going to know until these trail cameras light up and, and season opens up what the heck is, is going to happen. Because, again, the food sources that were available last year um, have changed and are going to be different down in the area where we had the encounter with him and then where he actually resided. Um, I, again, I, <laughs> where we gosh. had the encounter with him last year, it was corn stubble and a little bit of wheat that mm-hmm. was German. And right now we have two foot tall beans in that area. Oh yeah. And, uh, three acres worth that are, have experienced very little browse so far. Yeah. So it's like, wow, I think we're going to be pretty good to have really good food. And of course we're going to broadcast our, uh, our fall mixes into those beans, so it mm-hmm. should be the best of both worlds. And then also we have the six acres of new food plots. But then, Up top, yeah. But then the whole other trick comes in of going, the logging crew's coming back. They're going to be here and working, likely, <clears throat> through parts of hunting season, if not all of it. Yeah. So how... At this rate, it's going to be all of it and then <laughs> yeah. turkey season. Oh, gosh. Uh, how, how... We got to look at how deer responded... <clears throat> to that timber harvest and honestly there's a lot of people out there who have mixed opinions of how deer typically respond and and, and our what we found last year was deer didn't really shy away from being a part of that timber harvest it almost seemed as if they followed it um, there was acorn crop last year so when they were um, cutting during September time frame in October they would follow that harvest along and pick the seeds out and pick the acorns that hadn't fallen out of the canopy. Um, so you could see a progression, but it wasn't like they completely removed themselves from that area. So if he hippie was to remain on the lease and the timber harvest was going on, hopefully his patterns would stay pretty consistent. Um, even though the timber and timber harvest is still going to be going on during hunting season that's right 
Again, it's, it's a lot of speculation. Yeah, right now all we can do is speculate. But the biggest thing is looking at last year's patterns and trying to figure out what it was that led him to make that move. Mm-hmm. And since food was not the issue, we got to go, okay, maybe it's security. Mm-hmm. And if it's security, there's a good chance that's something he'll do again. And especially if if the logging operation and then gun season opens up and he makes that move, that, that he will probably make that same move. So Likely, yeah. And, and then it becomes, you know, last year we had that horrible drought during yep. late summer and all through the fall. And a lot of people still believe we're not even out of that drought. It's been such a kind of a bad, bad deal. But um, we should hopefully um, have much better fall food plots than we did last year. And so we will have food plots set up to where when he does come in there, hopefully we can get him on a more consistent pattern coming to those food plots. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the the biggest resources that was kind of in that focal area that we documented him at and that heat map on Deer Lab shows is that big bedding area, honestly, that we, um, we hunted the very close proximity to it last year. Um, but it's, it's, it was grazed at, at points through your childhood, I know. Um, but cedars had kind of encroached and prescribed fire was run through there. So cedars has been cut now. Then the prescribed fire, there's a lot of growth in that area. Um, and, and a lot of deer, we know bed in there. We don't go in it. We hunt the fringes and the edges. But last year when we did hunt it, I think there was only one time that we didn't see deer. I mean, yeah. it's pretty consistent that it was kind of like a little hub there on, on, on the on the family farm there, your portion. And it's like, was that the was that the area that he was keen into? Yeah, um, and I, I, I would think it certainly is. I, I would certainly say that. Yeah, and there's some things we we learned from last year to where we can hopefully um, pinch them down even more by bush hogging the trail out through the brush because it's getting Correct. so grown up now. Um, there's just certain things, but I, I, I believe that that was the heartbeat of the security on the family farm, yeah. and Hippie took advantage of it. And he wasn't the only deer, though, at that time using that as well. So, you know, we can tell that it was a safe area. It was a secure area area of, of high preference. So what can we do now, right, to make it better and capitalize on the fact that likely we're speculating that he's going to be back? Yeah. He, and he is a good-looking deer this year. Man, he's solid. He should be. Uh, I believe he's five and a half now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. I, be- I believe he's five and a half. We wrote, last year was the first year he showed up, and so we're kind of we'd like to have a little more uh, another year of inventory on him to kind of get an idea. But I believe he's five and a half. Great. I mean, he's got great mass this year, much more than last year. Oh, incredible! A- already, even I mean, he's got velvet, so. Even taking that into consideration, he's got way more mass um, than last year. So he's going to be an interesting one to follow, that's for sure. Well, and you know another interesting one to follow? No, oh, the new 12. <laughs> I feel I sorry mean, for the 7. We ain't even talked about I him I know yet. it. I know it. But this 12, uh, one, a typical 12 is just awesome to look at. The ul- see he's the ultimate buck. I told you that. That's it. And, and, and the story with that is uh, one of my good friends would always say, that a 12-pointer is the ultimate buck because everybody and their brother, if there's a deer, 
that they didn't really get a good look at, and they saw a lot of times they oh. say he's at least a 12. Big old 12. <laughs> and so it's the ultimate buck. So we ought to just name him Ultimate. ultimate. Yeah, we'll call him Ultimate. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, fantastic frame on this deer already. Um, great time length. Not like over massive, but does it matter at this point? Ultimate. Ultimate. <laughs> it's the ultimate buck. <laughs> um, pretty wide, but man, he just catches he's, your attempt. He's got height. He's, he's got pretty, time length. He comes dear. up off his head rather quickly. And um, we haven't really talked about age, um, or we've been a little mesmerized, I guess you'd say, with the antlers. Um, he could we, be three. He could. Uh, honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking in my head, I, from what I can remember and recall from that one video, there's a potential he could be three. And how many, show a hand, crap, that doesn't work on this. Does <laughs> this is a show podcast. a hands. how many guys uh, plan on shooting a three-and-a-half-year-old deer? Um, Matt and I, hands are held a high. Oh, yeah. We'll shoot a three-and-a-half-year-old. If that we don't deer care. were to walk by any of us, I'd be your brother. F- I'd be foolish oh, to yeah. let that deer walk and say, well, we'll let him go next year. It's Prairie Hollow, man. Everybody shoots three-and-a-half-year-olds. <laughs> they shoot a lot of two-and-a-halves. Well, you know what? Even if, even if they passed them, that is a great deer and a awesome deer to put a tag on. Uh, no for matter, sure. No well, we'd be what. jacked up we shoot this deer. Oh. He's beautiful. I mean, I don't we don't know what his time's gonna end up being, but he's a mainframe ten, but his he's got almost like a, a two points that are already probably three inches coming out of right out the G four coming out of the main beam Angling coming inward. Inward. Yeah. And so it's a really cool, really cool deer called Ultimate Buck. Ultimate <laughs> <laughs> You know, but it's just it's the most obscure things that you come up with names for deer, but you know what? Ultimate is Ultimate. Oh Ultimate. Ultimate. Because he's the optimal and the yeah. ultimate. Yeah. It's a new word. <laughs> the ultimate buck. Oh man. So yes, he's just a very cool deer. But here's the here's the cool part about it. Um we'll just be quite candid with you. We had this picture, we're Facebook friends with the neighbor, and he posted a picture of this deer. Yeah. And we said Boy, that's a really nice deer. And then we go check our cameras the next time out, and he shows up. Yep. So it's a deer that we're both watching, and judging by the Facebook post, we're all excited about it. Yeah. So uh, anyone it, would be. Right? And and so we that kind of gives us some more information. I don't know where his camera's at, but he's clearly spending some time over there on theirs, and he's spending some time on us. So we'll keep an eye on him. He's actually living where Hippie lived during this time of year last year. Yeah. So. I don't ever take, like, unless, here's the thing, July patterns, I don't ever look at a pattern and say, okay, I need to hang a stand here. I say, oh, cool, he's there. He's, That's it. he's there. <laughs> uh, now, I may go, okay, do I have stands in, in situations just in case he does stay in that pattern? And it's all about judging the food source. So if he's coming into an alfalfa field, I may say, okay, I need to get a stand somewhere in this area. But this deer, he's coming down to the creek. Mm-hmm. And it's like you know, there's not really a good food source over there. I'm just hoping he stays in that area. We have a set or a plan for a set yeah. that we'll be putting in in a week or so that is going to be right up in close to that. But it's still not like okay, he showed up. Let's go hang a stand because no. patterns change so much it, from July pictures to opening day. And it's yeah, it's it's not the fact that you don't put stock or weight in kind of what's showing up. Um, because some deer will stay around, some will go. However, 
it, basically it's like the TBD to be determined is, is where he's going to pick and where he's going to stay. But what we can what we can offer and do is right increase the quality of habitat around and then improve food plots and hope that hey we've got the best resource um we're offering it we're providing it so he's an incredible deer though he is and one thing that we could do is we have an area of that field that's not that doesn't fall under the grazing system and we could go in and plant a nice fall food plot and hope that that's enough attraction to pull him down there during during season Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um that's all it's always learning something but this time of year, we're just trying to take inventory and look at these pictures and say, okay, here's a buck that's probably a shooter. Here's a buck that's probably a shooter. Now I want to try and keep continuing to get pictures of them into season. And in regards to taking inventory, he was a perfect example of things that we said, hey, mm-hmm. strategies basically that we're, now that we're not putting out mineral salt, um, what can we do to be able to get deer photographed? And this is a cattle farm, so if you're in cattle country, this is something you can do if there's no cattle in the field, of course. But there is a barbed wire fence splitting um, the basically where cattle get to and where they couldn't into the woodlot. And that fence, now that cattle were moved from the field, was lowered. We went in intentionally, lowered the fence, the top, I think it was the top four wires, down to the first level and wired it down there cut out some limbs to make that crossing or that area where we knew they were going to prefer to cross the fence because it's just easy path of least resistance they're going to choose it if it's safe every time so we lowered it down set a camera cut a couple limbs cut a couple stump or trees and now they're stumps and actually those are providing some forage so we can see on the camera and the video as they're coming stepping over that fence that tiny little step they're foraging on the other stuff that we cut. And it worked to plan. That's where that 12 and several other younger bucks came and worked down off the hillside, crossed ever so perfectly, just like we planned it, just like we drew it up. And that little technique, though, pinched him down, bottlenecked him down. So as he and if he is a on, is on a routine to do this on a daily basis or, or a few times a week, we're in a perfect position to capture him and get more information on this deer. That's right. That's right. And I think using the deer lab is just a great tool to, and I, and I think it, we, we say it, we may not be the best people to promote that because we always say categorizing or, or, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's what we always say, categorizing the photos, but it's so much more than that. And it, we're, as we're getting these pictures, we're entering them into, Deer lab, and then we're going to monitor them as season gets closer and we start getting more pictures. And specifically, once we get into season, we're going to be looking at it going, okay, is there certain winds that we're getting pictures of this year, mm-hmm. of this deer? Is there certain moon phases? What time frame of the day is he moving through here? Yes. And and then what's his heat map look like? Like <laughs> That was kind of ironic for us as we begin the pre-show. We're kind of looking at the heat map. We're like, huh. I didn't even realize that we had that many pictures of him up there. Right. And it was kind of like, okay, well, it, it's safe to say that his home range during the season wasn't the same as it was during during July and August. Absolutely. And so trying to capitalize on that and say, all right, now that we know that he likes that area during the fall, let's try to improve what's there and make it more huntable. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the big thing 
uh, of just being practical of what it is that you're seeing on your trail cameras and that historical information. So once you categorize and make a profile for individual bucks and you've watched them for multiple years, you can be at the same the same place that we are and say, okay, this deer showed back up. I'm going to have a chance at him during season if everything goes well. But what has happened over the past few years that I can learn from? And that's where the deer lab and creating these profiles and understanding patterns from years and years ago. I mean, this isn't the only property that we hunt. And so keeping track and keeping bucks and their patterns, what they've done individually can be tough. I mean, we're fortunate enough to have several deer that we want to be chasing here and then several deer on a different farm. So trying to remember that information over a year's time frame and, and really even two and three years time frame is, is next to impossible. I think it's it's there's no right or wrong in this answer, but I think that's something that I've heard debated and I'd be curious. To me, I totally see both sides, but the question is, do you think hunting multiple farms can harm you on your success? Like for us, I feel like there's been some times where we get really close to figuring a deer out and it's like, let's go hunt somewhere else. I need, I need new scenery. And so you leave and then you come back and you have to leave, you have to learn what's going on all over again. Um, I see that a lot with guys that bounce around and you end up skipping out. And once you get a spot figured out, they end up moving on because they think it's over. Well, and that's the thing. To answer the question, I think it all depends on how you're hunting it. If you are a hunter who is very patient and diligent and you can stay back out of an area but still scout and get the intel from a specific spot and then know when to strike, yeah, absolutely. So if you're if you're watching deer come out to a field and you're just kind of observing from a distance, but of course you still got your bow or your gun and you're just waiting on the right opportunity. You never know when it could, you know, present itself. If you're taking that approach, then sure, sure, yeah, it, I, it, it can it can certainly help by staying diligent with that same exact farm. And then when it, when when the stars align, you get in there. Absolutely, I think uh, for me. As we go on this little ramble here, there's one thing that I, I've often learned too with hunting tree stands over time is I don't have a, I didn't have a lot of deer growing up. The population is pretty low. And so really good spots that we hung in and didn't see deer, we thought were bad spots. But I mean, if there's a 20 deer per square mile, and you're gonna have a lot more bad spots than good spots <laughs> yeah just because not because they're they're not great bottlenecks and great terrain features that you can get into and and deer use readily when the population's there but there just weren't enough deer to move through there's just right less deer to bottleneck so definitely keep that in mind if you're uh if you're hunting one of those places with lower deer numbers no doubt no doubt and I, you know just take all that perspective in um to your decisions when you're hunting, where you're hunting, and moving forward. What? There's one more deer. My gosh, I almost forgot about him. Yeah, poor guy. Seven. Can't even grow eight points. <laughs> oh, seven. Oh, seven pointer. You know, that deer, I don't have a problem with seven pointers. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think any broadhead with... I have on my arrows are um, 
care which deer they go into, yeah. you know? Yeah, no. I, I think, it, you know, even if he's a big, f- that'd be forky? really cool to shoot a really big forky horn. That'd be kind of cool. mature yeah. and just. Just gnarly, nasty. Gnarly, just but it just goes out Tiny forks. little crabs. But Seven, whatever his name is, we actually found a shed of him last year. Um, Let's call him Siete. Siete? Siete. So we got Ultimate and Siete. <laughs> and Hippie. Uh, and Hippie. <laughs> we are hippies with those names. Darn right. Um, so Seven is just a big old seven-pointer. He showed up last year in, I think it was it was during hunting season. He just showed up. And it was kind of like, and it was later, so it was like the uh, gun season pressure had been put on, and all of a sudden this deer is out roaming, and he finds security in the farm, and he stays, and he's still there. We believe we haven't, of course, he's still growing. This this buck is still growing his antlers, but same kind of area where he was during the late season last year, um, and he's got the same width and similar features in his antlers right now, and so we believe it's the same deer, but. If he turns into a big seven, we'll confirm that, yep, same deer. And uh, he's definitely a buck we both of us would shoot. Um, but the bases he's, on this deer right now look really great. Really good. And uh, and I think it's wide. A, this whole podcast is kind of about the changing patterns of deer um, because we have Hippie who was who's completely changed, but he's still on the same farms, obviously. And then we have this new, uh, the ultimate buck, and he comes in and he just – I mean, he's obviously changed something because we've never seen him. Before. Yeah, never seen him. Something's All of a sudden, changed. he just popped up. Um, and then we have the seven who never had a picture of him all summer, all early fall, and he shows up November, and now he stayed and apparently taken up residency right here on the family farm. And so, and you guys found a shed, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We found a shed not too far from where we're getting pictures of what we believe to be him now. So, o- not ultimate siete siete. siete. Um, he is there, so uh, yeah, we'll be curious to watch him kind of develop even more this summer and, and how we can get a pattern on him. He's actually in a, one of our biggest food plots on the family farm, so we get a well-established fall food plot. We could be in the game because, mm-hmm. as you know it, some of the most work we've done on the farm, habitat-wise, is right around this food plot. So he would be hopefully bedding very close to this food plot and coming out in daylight. And it sets up very, very well to hunt, inner exit, undetected, all that jazz, everything you look for in a good spot. So when that fall crop is in, um, it's going to be a great place to be able to intercept. And and last year, too, there was a bachelor group. I remember you and your brother went after them um, early. Opening day. Opening day, yeah. Um, that was hanging out right there in this spot. So, you know, there's a good opportunity, a good chance that that may occur um, if, again, like I said, he, he hangs around, he sticks in there um, and starts showing up during daylight hours. So, And there's there's even a couple other good deer that have not for sure shown up yet. Um, there's another camera that you, that you checked today and a lot of great deer, honestly, a lot of different bucks. We need to take some time and, and study them a little bit more and, and see just how many and who showed up there in, in, in that card pool. But some lookers. That's right. Very, very good looking deer. Um, and, and as we watch our food plots grow and more deer start to find those new food plots, I think we'll see more and more deer show up mm-hmm. and hopefully stay. So in a nutshell, just know that tr- the patterns are changing a lot right now uh, or will change a lot 
as velvet sheds and as we go into maybe it's acorns and whatever crops get harvested they're going to change so don't get all excited right now just build an inventory of bucks that are on or around your property and then focus on the hunting strategy as the season gets closer that's it that's that's our our big advice for right now this is a perfect time to build anticipation yeah and and plans yeah it's it's a very good time to be building that inventory and getting excited for deer season because it's not far off you know it's coming so fourth of july is kind of that time where it's okay i better start getting serious about this um i mean it's really quick yeah i i i I actually we'll be in nebraska before we know it yeah i took a couple minutes today and just shot um my bow in my garage which is like tiny tiny little practice but just kind of getting to the motion of everything and i was like you know what i mean it's it is july 14th or thir- 14th i guess I, it's so fast time flies by so it is really it's it's crunch time now so season will be here really two months that's right two and months then, then the grind i can't wait that's right all right would you rather yep you got one Nope. <laughs> okay. Would you rather? I got one. Okay, go ahead. Would you rather <clears throat> shoot a, we'll call it a transient buck, the one that just chases a doe out of its home range, comes by, no history with it, but it's just a solid, solid one, mid, mid-160s, 170, or would you rather shoot a deer that you've watched from three and a half, four and a half, and you shoot him as a five and a half year old, um, and he's a one thirty one? Mm. No age difference. Both the same age. Both same age. Mm. Both both mature. Well, yeah, both mature deer. Well, that's a tough one. I'd say the one I know the I have the history with, because I'd feel like. That would be the one that's... A little that's, more accomplished? Yeah. I'd yeah. feel more accomplished on that one. Would you rather shoot a 120 with a recurve? Hmm. Cool. Or a 160 with a compound? Ah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Just... I'm going 160. Yeah, it's all about the antlers. Um, so <laughs> yeah, right. for you guys, neither one of us have ever killed. I don't think you've ever killed, killed. killed a deer no. with a recurve bow. And that's something nope. that's on our on our uh, agenda in the f- coming yep. years to really kind of tackle that feat. So, Just try it. Just get yeah. out there and try something different. That's it. It's all, a new, all about a new challenge. That's it. But right now, the Ozark Mountain Deer are a challenge enough as it is. <laughs> so, that's why I'm like, 160? Yeah. I'm going with it. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed this week's hunting podcast from Land and Legacy, and we will catch you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering on the podcast, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Yeah.